0: Hey everybody, it's Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, we feature artists, business owners, photographers, bartenders, and other San Franciscans talking about living, working, and doing their thing here. It's a way to get to know your neighbors. Before I set up this episode, just a quick reminder that we're now up to 40 episodes. So if you're new to the podcast, please dig back through the archives, which are available on our website, storiedsf.com, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And listen to any or all of our past episodes. Welcome to episode 40. This one's a little different. I joined my good friends at Bitch Talk Podcast on a Bourdain crawl to honor the chef and writer at the places in San Francisco he loved and wrote about. One of those was Zam in the Upper Haight. When they interviewed bartender Kundan Baidwan, we all knew that the recording would have to go onto both podcasts, Bitch Talk and Story San Francisco. Kundan is a great bartender, and in this podcast, she shares the rich history of Zam, an Upper hate neighborhood mainstay since the 1940s. The ladies of Bitch Talk will be on another episode of this podcast, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, here's Kundan.
1: So if you will, again, can you tell us a little bit about the history of
2: Zam? So the bar was opened in 1941 by two brothers, Sam and Malik Moucher. Uh, they left Baghdad in 21. They were Assyrians, so a very small ethnic group um, from the greater Mesopotamia area. When they moved out here, uh, Sam and his wife ran a little luncheonette counter down the street. Their son Bruno um, would come to the luncheonette after school and go clean up the lun- uh, clean up and sweep uh, sweep up the floors and. He learned, you know, the the hard work that you put into owning a business. And when his father opened this, bar, his father and his uncle bought the building in 1941 and opened this bar. He really he worked alongside with his dad until he served in World War II, because um, we opened 11 days after Pearl Harbor. So San Francisco, <laughs> timing, yeah, San Francisco is <laughs> suddenly just teaming with with sailors, right? Um, and drinkers, and drinkers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they, they really. Where was I then?
1: <laughs> you it was a you were here, but it was a different you. Anyway, I'm sure.
0: Became gay. Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gay old San Francisco. I mean,
2: yeah, the neighborhood was just a lot of like working class families. Uh, a lot of San
1: Francisco was, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And so
2: when Bruno's dad opened the bar, he wanted a nice like upscale cocktail lounge where people could go, and he wanted it to be a throwback to his his motherland. So they found an architect, uh, John O'Shanna, who also was an, an artist, and he liked to do lobbies and bars and incorporate a huge mural, which is why we have this epic. Right behind, mural behind you, us. yes, it's beautiful. Still original. It's only been cleaned, never been touched up. The new owner who took it over from Bruno when he passed in 2000, because Bruno didn't have any children to Wait, pass it
1: on to. Wait, this has never been touched up. It's no, still.
2: It's only been cleaned. It's beautiful. There's I'm sorry. been no okay. clean added to it. Okay. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um,
1: no, everyone that's listening, when you come here and you see. Well, I already put up a picture on Instagram. But when you come in here and see, it looks like someone just painted it. Anyways, it's It's, it's, it's beautiful. remarkable,
2: and it's so indelible when people know Zam, We had like a short 30-second clip in a Woody Allen movie, Blue Jasmine. Oh, yeah. And it literally is like a quick pan across the The mural. The mural. And then a focus on the, the two characters sitting and having a drink. And there's almost no dialogue. Like I said, it lasts maybe 30 seconds. But I had women come in... And say, I just saw the movie. I live on the other side of town. I haven't been here in 20 years. And I had to come in. Yeah. I'm, I've had people come in in tears. I'm so happy you guys are still here. Yeah. It's, it's a big part of the history of Hate Street. Yeah. So like I said, when Bruno right. took it over yes. from his dad, he really stuck to his dad's old rules. And... I said the bar opened in the 40s and his father was very um, wary of young women that came in to drink by themselves because back then it was usually ladies of the night. So there was like an unspoken house rule that women couldn't come in and drink by themselves. <gasps> and okay. Yeah. Well, what about ladies of the day, which we are right now,
1: which is right now? <laughs> yeah.
2: if, if you come in, in in twos or threes, then you're fine. It was just, it was the solo women that he always had to look out for. Our entrance to our basement used to be a phone booth, but Sam, Bruno's father, caught a sailor and a young lady in there up to some shenanigans and ripped it out. Oh, (laughs) this school, right here? Yeah, they were immigrants, and so they they had this very old-school mentality, and they also... Like I said, the great thing about Bruno growing up on the street and working at his dad's luncheonette, his parents' luncheonette, was that he knew the like, what hard work meant and how you could reap the rewards. And so he really ran his dad's business with that same motto. And so when hippies came in asking for like free acid, he was like, get off my lawn, slash get out of my bar. <laughs> I
3: love that eternal struggle to keep this place classy on hate street like in the heart of just free love free drugs So if
2: you think free love was rough the years that came after that were really rough because there was a bad heroin epidemic on this street It was a rough neighborhood And it was probably really hard for Bruno to, to witness like I said when he was a kid growing up here It's a completely different world um, But you know he stayed the course and in the '90s, in particular, like you just didn't know when the bar was going to be open. He didn't have to worry about making money off the bar because his parents had, you know, grandfathered the bar down to him and his brother, um, and so he just opened when he wanted to, and he would kick you out if he didn't like the way you looked or the drink you ordered, and he didn't, he didn't have to worry about it. So when Bob took over the bar, he obviously wanted the staff to be a little bit friendlier and, and all that <laughs> stuff. But you know we still want to maintain the integrity of the bar and the history of it. And that was Bruno's dying wish, was to make sure that the Zam Zam stayed, stayed alive and the, the, the legacy continued.
3: Well, and that's what Bourdain really pays a tribute to when he talks about Zam Zam, is the legendarily unfriendly owner, but for a reason. And his spirit is still alive. And that's kind of what made this place special and what sets it apart from every other place on Hate Street.
2: And there's, I mean, as much as we are still a modern bar, obviously, you know, you change with the times. Um, there's a level of decorum that just, you know, you got to be an adult to drink here, not just over 21. Like, you got to act like an adult. If Little manners. If you're a smartass, and I, I just, I won't take it. Um, uh, most of my staff, my coworkers, none of the staff here wants to, wants to deal with your smartass. Like, if you want to go drink PBRs in the park, that's cool. I won't like knock anybody that comes in here and wants a beer and a shot, but just be an adult about it. You right. know, We love making a good cocktail, but we just want to make sure the customers are happy and everyone's playing nice. It's a great bar. There's no televisions. It's a curved bar, so you yes. actually are encouraged to talk to each other. Um, the jukebox, we try and make sure there's nothing from this century or even touching this century. We love it, by the way. We love it. Appreciate it. Yeah, we, the staff here, we all try and kind of put our two cents. We have a Everyone has a favorite on there and that somebody had a you know request for, but um, yeah, we try and keep it a really classic, eclectic, but still classic.
1: What does the history of this bar mean to you? Like You've been here for six years, but a patron for 11. like It must really hold a huge place in your heart to be here and
2: yeah, want to be here. There's a huge sense of community. I think what is overlooked in the hate, because it is such a tourist destination, is that there still is that community, and I think that's what Bruno clung to Um, and appreciated when I mean he had his friends he had his group of people that could come in and they knew the rules and uh, they were friends Bruno liked to go out to dinner with some of his patrons Um, and Honestly, like half the patrons that come in here, half my regulars are friends of mine. I, I go to their kids' graduations or. Oh, you them make them
1: what? Well, you used to make them onesies.
2: Yes, I, 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 <laughs> that I told took us. that upon myself to make onesies yeah. for a few of the babies that were yeah. born to, to Zam Zam couples. We've had a wedding reception here for a regular. And it was great because uh, yeah, she, we didn't we didn't, we never closed to the public. So even if you want to have an event here, we never close the doors. It's never a private party. It's always going like to be that. open. Yeah, and that was something that Bob really always wanted to keep uh, to maintain. He never wanted the the neighborhood folk to feel like they couldn't come into their spot, because on a given weekday. It seriously is. It's the neighborhood community checking in on each other and how was your trip and how's your kid and how's work and just there's there's a lot of that. And I think that's what's overlooked and I think that's what's lovely about Zams is there, as much as there are communities at every other bar, there's an overlapping sense of family and community in this neighborhood. I, I do feel like
3: also given the location where there could be crazy, crazy shit happening all the time, you really need that sense of community to really maintain and survive in this neighborhood can you can you talk about some of the crazy stories that of like customers that you've had in here
2: you've already shared some of them with us they are incredible well, there's there's funny crazy stuff like when a guy probably tripping on acid came in dressed like a kangaroo i in all honesty just tried to meet him at his level and say sorry we don't serve kangaroos and he politely walked out So, you know, weird stuff like that happens. But, you know, it is still a bar and it is still Hate Street and there is always an element of, you know, diciness out there. Um, I did once have a homeless man try and punch me. Well, he did punch me, uh, but before I could even cock back and swing, there was another regular from the neighborhood that had him by the back of the collar and was dragging him out. Nice. Like, that's, that's another really nice thing about knowing that even when you're working by yourself, there's people in the bar that you know respect and love the bar so much and respect and love you so much that they won't let anything bad happen. So like I said, that sense of community really, it gives you a stronger backbone. gets lets you stand up a little taller mm. knowing that there's, there's always somebody in your corner. Or if it's just a stressful day and somebody is being an idiot and you're trying not to turn on your inner Bruno. Uh, you know? Like, <laughs> just having someone where you can just glance at them and be like, oh my God, I want to kill them. Or myself. But yeah.
1: That should be another t-shirt up there. My inner Bruno or yes. something. Channeling.
2: Don't make me channel my inner Bruno.
1: Right? Yeah, something. Yeah. I, I have or a little pin or something <laughs> that just says that.
2: <laughs> that was Beta Breakers. Beta Breakers is always a crapshoot, and there's two people working because it's it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, and there was one year when uh, about a dozen people dressed up as giant hot dogs were trying to sneak beers <laughs> out, and it's the in, in the, their buns, sticking their beer in the bun.
1: Don't talk about my buns that way
2: or what you stick in there. You could
1: stick a little more than (laughs) beers. Hey,
2: all All right.
1: Anyway. (laughs) That's why it's called bitch talk. Anyways, Uh, go ahead.
2: But yeah, it was my coworker had to yell like things you'd never expect to come out of your mouth, much like sorry we don't serve kangaroos, was if one more hot dog tries to sneak out beers, we're 86ing all the hot dogs. And it was like a very angry. It wasn't set calmly like that. It was uh, screaming at the top of your lungs because you're just at wit's end with how stupid people can be. On a sunny day, when they're allowed to drink, a lot public. of drinking.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, quickly, so you know, we approached you as we have in every place we've been to, and like, is it okay if we record here? And we mentioned Anthony Bourdain, and you brought out a book, but I didn't hear what the story was in terms of what that book is, and who brought it, and who's signing it, so, and if you don't mind
2: sharing. You know, Anthony Bourdain came to to Zam's nine years ago, uh, and some of the patrons that were in that video are still patrons to this day. Uh, the owner Bob was the bartender then he does not bartend but he still owns the bar Uh, and he got to understand and really love the history you know Bruno obviously I'm sure Anthony Bourdain has a lot of over had a lot of overlap with his his cantankerous side but there was also a really sweet side to Bruno and again that love of his family um, and and the legacy that they they gave him and so on the day that uh, Bourdain passed away I was working. It was oh. a definite struggle to keep buttoned up when right. there was just so much coursing through you viscerally um, when hearing that news. I think a lot of people that um, worked in food and beverage understood that when, if you've read Kitchen Confidential, you understand he spoke like you spoke. He could take phrases out of your own brain and put them on paper, and you thought nobody else felt like that until you read his His writing, um, Because he spoke from the heart. He was a really honest character. And a lot of people that came in that day were just um, not making a big deal out of it. There was a lot of people that came in and just sort of, um, you know, ordered their martinis and quietly to their friend just cheered, you know, to Bourdain, to the chef. Um, And one of our regulars brought in her copy of Kitchen Confidential and just asked if anybody wanted to write a note about their their takeaway from Bourdain, their, um, their love of him and his, uh, his approach to life, not just food. Uh, so it was, it was just a nice way to have everybody sort of write down a little sentiment. And so we're just keeping it behind the bar and it's nice for people to be able to flip through and and read and see and understand. Uh, so, uh
3: Anybody listening to this who wants to come into Zamzam, what, how do you describe it? What What can they expect coming into this place, and why, why is it so quintessentially San Francisco?
2: Um, I, I think because you can walk in and start a conversation with a person that you might not know on your day-to-day life, in your day-to-day routine. Um, I've seen a professor talked to a mechanic and by the end of the night they were hugging and buying each other shots like <laughs> seriously made a, a, a deep connection um, and that's again that's one of the reasons why Zam Zam doesn't have televisions this isn't a place where you just gape into the abyss you, you engage in the the environment you know this is a space that you are holding a spot in so what are you gonna do with that spot have a cocktail yes enjoy the music maybe play a few songs on the juke sure but converse and get to know your neighbor. And I, I feel sometimes in the changing world of San Francisco, we forget that. Um, and I'm, I'm not a San Francisco native, but people often think I am because I really respect the, um, the connections of, of people and their history and the time they've spent here. And again, just, you know, just like the nation is built on immigrants, San Francisco is built on people coming from all over. Cities are like that. They draw people from from all stretches of the world and the country. So it's it's wonderful to have people that, like I said, don't necessarily have a surface connection that you can pinpoint, but you just have a couple drinks and the next thing you know you're going to find something that you're going to make, be like new best friends with somebody that you meet here.
0: Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald, a.k.a. Joe Bigale. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather please follow storied san francisco on facebook twitter and instagram our website which has all the episodes and photos of storytellers is storied if you're listening on apple podcasts we'd really appreciate it if you'd rate and review the show if you have comments and suggestions please email us at storied at gmail.com thanks for listening check back next week to hear from san francisco giants photographer andy kuno